Well, let me just pray. Father God, I, I thank you for the chance to worship you this morning. I thank you for the chance to come before you and, and look into your word. And I pray that when we leave here this morning, the only thing we'll be talking about is your word and what it's revealed to us. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, most of you guys know that if you look out that window over there, that's Parsonage B, and that's where my wife Diane and I and our, our two kids live. And I've got to be honest with you, the commute is amazing. <laughs> uh, it, it's really nice. And, and, and the funny part is, um, when, when, I, when we first got married, I used to teach at a Christian school down in uh, West Sable, not far from here, and we actually lived right next to the school. We lived in a the similar type of setup, and so I would walk to school. And then when we moved down to Virginia, we had to drive, crazy, uh, <laughs> about, about two miles to to our uh, to school that both of us taught at. And then we moved back here, and I said, man, God is good to us with these commutes. It's, it's incredible. Even at night, some people say, really, you're okay crossing the field at night? I take my chances. So far, so far, so far, things have been good. Um, but it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever been here in the summer, but in the summer, like if you've been here during the week, I, I always joke around with Diane that reminds me of Central Park. For some reason, random people, some of it's you, but some of it's just people from the neighborhood will come and set up blankets and lay out. They'll walk their dog, and some people are reading a book, and I'm like, that's kind of weird, but hey, it's cool. Um, but we, we started this, I don't know how it began, but we had this tradition in our family last summer, and it lasted for a few months, that I would leave work, leave here around 4 o'clock every day, and my, my kids, Ethan, who's five, and my daughter, Katie, who's three, would come running out of the house, and they'd run across the field, da, 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 and, and I'd meet them about halfway I- into the field. And it was kind of random, and I'm sure people were like, what is happening? But uh, every day, that's what would happen. I, I'd, I'd leave around four, they'd be waiting at, we have like a big bay window over there, and they would just come running across the field, trekking across, and... They, we would just like literally sit down in the middle of the field. If anyone was watching, they're probably like, what is happening? But, and we would sit down and they would tell me what happened during the day. Well, one, one time in particular this past summer, there was a guy that was out here flying this gigantic kite. Like it was incredible. I don't know where he got it, but this huge, huge, huge kite. So I'm walking out and I'm looking at the kite and all of a sudden there's Ethan, my, my five-year-old, and he's running, dad, dad, dad. And he meets me about halfway across the field and I said, I scooped him up. I said, how are you doing? He said, Dad, i got to tell you about my day. And I said, that's a really cool kite, isn't it? And he said, what kite? And I'm like, uh, like the gigantic kite? And the, he goes, oh, I didn't even see that. Now, my first instinct is like, oh, my gosh, we got to get this kid to like an a eye doctor or something. Like, how do you not see this giant kite? The, but then I realized his, his vision is okay. But he was so focused on just getting out to me that he didn't see what was going on. And as I was preparing for this morning and, and looking at the text, I thought, man, isn't that a cool illustration in a way of how we should be with our Father, our Heavenly Father, of just, God, 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 Dad, I've got something to tell Dad, I just want to be with you. Isn't that such a great, uh, you know, imagine if we came into church that way. Uh, uh, Dad, I can't wait to get to worship this morning. I can't wait to just bask in the glory of God and, and just sing these songs and just, and just soak up his word. I think our churches and, and our reputation as Christians to the rest of the world would be completely flipped if people saw that passion for us. Um, and I'm going to come back to that, that story a little bit later on. But right now, I'd like you to open up uh, your few Bibles to, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4. It's found on page 1219 in your pew Bible. 
We're going to look at the first 13 verses. Luke 4, uh, 1 through 13. Luke 4, 1 through 13. This is a pretty familiar passage. Most of you have probably heard this. It's the, the temptation of Jesus. And, and um, it's interesting. If you look in Matthew and if you look in Mark, just trust me on this. You don't need to look right now. You can look later. But, but it's interesting. There's Jesus is baptized and then the temptation. Jesus is baptized and then the temptation. Luke's different though. Luke has Jesus is baptized and then there's a genealogy and then the temptation. And it's interesting as I was studying up on this and looking into you know, why, why that was. Uh, several different scholars have pointed out maybe some possible reasons. Is it, it, it parallels Moses. If you look back in Exodus, Moses was, was called to his ministry, and, and, and then they listed the genealogy, and then he went out and did his ministry and, and actually performed his ministry. But also one, one, uh, one other reason, which I think is so interesting, of why Luke may have chosen to insert this genealogy here is it shows... Just as a reminder, before we get into this text about Jesus, who Jesus came from, what line he came from. He's the son of David. He's the son of, and the the line, we keep going and going all the way back to the son of Adam. And unlike Adam, who you might consider God's first son, unlike Adam, Jesus didn't give in to the temptation. And Jesus didn't fail this test. Let's look at the text together. Verse 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's interesting now enough. If you follow along in your notes, I've got some blanks if you want to fill in. But, but Satan, we're, we're just going to pick apart the, these verses for a few minutes here. Satan really focuses on three key temptation areas, three, three areas. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And then we're going to look at some ways that we can combat that temptation. The first area, if you're filling in the blanks, is uh, the physical needs and desires. You want to fill that in. Satan's focusing on Jesus' physical needs and desires. And, and this is still true of us today. The reason we're taking these notes is not, it's not a history lesson to just find out what happened with Jesus. This is true of us today. Jesus hits, uh, uh, Satan hits at some of these, these temptations on a daily basis and, and goes for our physical needs and desires. Here's Jesus. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And he says, here, come on. Here, here's the bread. Take the bread. And, 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 and Jesus does not give in to the temptation. And it's a good reminder that God does not call us 
to give in to every urge we have, right? God doesn't call us. We, we all have different urges, and, and, and some of them are sinful urges, or even in some cases, some of them are urges that God doesn't want us to do it in that exact way. For instance, God does call us to eat, right? That, that's, that's okay to, to eat food. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we have to steal to eat, that's wrong. Sex before marriage, that's wrong. It's, it's unbiblical. We're taking God-given things and we're twisting them so that, it could, so, so that we can feel good. God doesn't call us to give in to every desire or every urge that we have. He wants us to satisfy those desires in a way that's pleasing to him. The second area that, that uh, Satan tries to tempt him with is possessions and power. This is a tough one. I think we all like power. We all like, if we're being honest, we like to be somewhat in control uh, of things um, and, and just, just know that, all right, I, I've got this myself. But, but here we go again. Jesus, Jesus does not give in to this temptation, and nor should we. The idea of being in control is somewhat the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I'm going to let go of control and let Jesus run my life. Jesus is going to be the first and the foremost thing in my life, and he will be the one that's in control, not me. And possessions, oh, this is tough. I think so many of us love to acquire. We love to, to have the biggest, the best. I know, I know people that, that need, you know, they, they've got the 42-inch uh, TV. Oh, I've got to have the 47. You know, you have the iPhone 4. I've got the iPhone 5. Well, I've already pre-ordered the iPhone 8 or whatever. You know, like, they've got to have the newest, the latest, the biggest, the best. And it's so interesting because, once again, when we look at this book, this book doesn't, this book reminds us that our possessions are worthless to the cost of knowing Christ. We don't get to bring any of those with us when we die. And, and, and the idea that we are going to uh, try to hoard and try to store up and store up, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about it's so tough for the rich to get into heaven. And I used to think, wow, I'm glad I'm not the rich. But I'll be honest with you, if, if you've studied this and maybe you've heard this from other pastors or you've just read this, 52%, 52% of the world lives off less than $2 a day. Today, 2013, 52% of the world lives off of less than $2 a day. The majority of our world is living in what we would consider to be poverty. And so for those of us here, myself included, that would say, well, I'm not really that rich. I hate to break it to you, but we, we are. We, we are rich compared to the rest of the world. And I think that verse where it says it's so hard for the rich to get into heaven, it's really hitting home with the idea that so often we want to cling on to certain things. We want to cling on to our, our whatever it might, may be, our possessions, our, our, our relationships. And, and God says, you've got to give it all to me. You've got to give it all away. And I think one thing that's helped me in this area, and, and maybe this will be helpful to you, is the idea of the, the verse that says, let heaven fill your thoughts. If heaven is constantly filling our thoughts and eternity is in mind, that's going to change the way that we give. It's going to change the way that we view our possessions. I don't care about the biggest TV. I don't care about the newest phone, the newest laptop, the newest whatever. I just want to give. Now, don't, don't hear, me, hear me the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, but when they become so um, central to our life and they become so um, important that we're, we're clinging to them and we're not willing to give them up, that might be becoming an idol in your life. 
And, and so when, when I think about giving, the idea of money even, just uh, it, it's so hard. Some, the world tells us to store up money, have the biggest retirement, have as many houses as you can, acquire, acquire, acquire. But with eternity in mind, I think that changes and that flips the way our vision goes. We should want to just give, give to our churches, give to our poor, give to programs, give to organizations that are proclaiming the gospel, something that's worthwhile in eternity. Because this, this life here on earth is so short. It's so short. And so rather than investing all your power, all your possessions into worldly things that when we die, they're gone, I want to encourage you to keep heaven in mind. The third area that he hits, uh, that Satan tries to tempt Jesus with, is in the area of pride. Pride. See, Satan misinterprets Scripture. He takes Psalm 91 and he twists it to say, hey, come on, come on, Jesus. You, you said, you, go ahead, throw yourself up, throw yourself off. Go ahead, you can do it, go ahead. And he tries to twist it to make it into a situation of pride. Come on, come on, let's, let's see what you got. Let's, come on, Jesus, show me, show me. You, you, you're, you're claiming you're Jesus. And he puts, his, puts him in this situation of, hey, I, I'm a bit prideful. I've got to at least show, show this. But Jesus does not give in. In fact, he uses Scripture to combat what Satan is trying to do here. And, and what he does is, he says, I am not giving in to this temptation. I am not, because the Word clearly tells me to not be prideful. To not, you're, you're twisting, you're, you're manipulating, Satan. And I know my word well enough that I'm not going to give in to that. And, and so what he does is, is, is we have this issue of pride. And, and if you think back on the last argument that you've had with maybe your spouse, with the, your, your brother, your sister, your, your friend, I, I think pride is an area where it's a, it may be at the root of a lot of arguments and a lot of dissension. You know, most of us, if we're being honest, we like to be patted on the back. Great job. You, you sang that song so well. You did this well. You did that. But when someone questions or when someone says, hey, I, I'm, I'm wondering about this about you, I'm not, you we kind of get defensive. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, who, who are you? to?" And, and, and we kind of put up this wall. And, and a lot of times we don't even recognize that we put the wall up. But Satan uses that. Satan appeals to your pride. But again, if we keep in mind that, you know, if you think of the globe, we are such a tiny speck on this globe. If you think of the entire world, we are in North America. You zoom in even more. We are in the United States of America. You zoom in even more. We are in New York. You zoom in even more. We're in Lake Grove. We're in, you, we are just a tiny speck compared to the entire world and uh, the entire greatness that God created. And we sang that first song before, um, Our God is Greater. Sometimes I don't even think I realize it when I'm singing how great our God is and how small and little we are in comparison to him. But yet he loves us. He, this great, great God, chooses to love me, you, all of us, these tiny little specks in this huge planet. But when we keep that in mind, hopefully that maybe helps us in in dealing with our pride, of dealing with the issues of... um, you know, uh, well, I'm a pretty good person. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Well, in comparison to the eternal God, we're really not. And so we, we sit there and we, we look at this and we, we go, well, who else has been tempted? Well, it's interesting. If you look back in 
the Old Testament, the Israelites also faced similar temptation. They were tempted when they went to the wilderness. And the, they dealt with the same struggle about the food. Do you remember this? And they, they went into the wilderness and they struggled with, uh, is God going to provide food for me? Or should, should I do this? Te- worshiping false idols. They, they struggled with this as well. And then finally, they, worship, they, they struggled with their pride and going, you know what? I'm going to test God. I, you know, I don't even know that he is God. This is, keep in mind, this is the God that led them out of the wilderness. I'm going to test. And that place is still called today Massa, which means test. It, it, it's, it's a word, the place where they decided to test God because of their pride. And so you sit there and you go, all right, well, this is a depressing sermon. We're all tempted and great. Is, is that it? Well, I want to propose to you guys four areas or four ways that we can avoid temptation. So this is the next part of your outline. And let me, I want to make sure you understand this clearly. These are not Tim's. I didn't invent these. I didn't find these from a book. I, I found them from this book right here. These are, these are things that Jesus said for us to be doing. This isn't like Tim came up with four cutesy little things. These are four ways that, that God tells us to help to help us to avoid temptation. The first one is this, and if, if you're filling it in, make sure you don't shorthand this one because the, the entire thing is important. Knowledge and obedience of Scripture. Knowledge and obedience of Scripture. Knowledge and obedience. Satan knew Scripture. Let me say that again. Satan knew scripture. As a matter of fact, if, if, if Satan were to come here today and, and have a, a, like a, a Bible bee or something where he had to name scripture with some of us, I hate to be honest with you, but he might even know more scripture up here than some of us do. Satan knew scripture. Satan chose not to obey scripture. And so it, it, it's, it's interesting. We can know all this scripture and we can memorize all these verses. And those are great. We do it every single month we, or every single week. We have a different memory verse. And I hope you're doing that as a family, as a couple, what, uh, you, by yourself, just memorizing it. But it's not just enough to know it. Satan knew it. It's vital that we obey it and that we live it out. See, our, the word, this book right here, is our sword in spiritual combat. It's, it, when, when we go to battle, it's so important that we know this word. It's, it says in, in Proverbs that every word of God proves true. This book is truth. It's the truth. And, and, and Satan's going to come and he's going to, just like he did with Jesus, he's going to try to twist it and, and manipulate the words and say, well, did he really say that? And sometimes you see that in, even in churches today where they go, well, I don't know if God really meant that. Or, come on, it's 2013. That part of the Bible doesn't apply. Or you don't need to. That's why it's so important that we know and obey what the Scripture says. And, and I'll give you a really practical way of, of possibly doing that. With the youth group, we, we started something that John MacArthur suggested of, of picking a different book of the Bible each month and just focusing on that book of the Bible. Short, short book. So for instance, with the youth group kids, we read back in, in, uh, back in January, last month. Uh, in January, we read the, the book of Philippians. And every day, we read Philippians as, as a group. They, they all signed little cards committing that they're going to read the book of Philippians. So Monday, they might read chapters 1 and 2. 
Tuesday, 3 and 4. Wednesday, 1 and 2. Thursday, 3 and 4. 1 and 2, 3 and 4. 1 and 2, 3 and 4. And they, just so it soaks in completely. February, we went on to, to uh, the book of James. And again, just picking some of these short books with just great biblical truths to them and reading them over and over and over again. So it becomes a part of, you can almost visualize where certain stories are on the page and what certain scripture is. Maybe that's something you need. Just a suggestion. I even made up little um, like booklets with questions in them. If you want one, I, I have extras for, for the kids just as a guide to, to go along as, as they're reading the story, as they're reading the, the, book, the book of the Bible. I've got to be honest with you, though. If the only time that you're opening up this book right here is today, is on Sundays, you're doing yourself a great disservice. It's so dangerous, folks. It's so dangerous. If this is the only time in the week that you're opening up this book, just for 10 minutes, 15, whatever, half hour right now as, as we sit here, you're doing yourself a great disservice. Because this book is supposed to be our path. This is supposed to be our guide. It's kind of like this. Right now it's almost, I can't see the clock in the back, 12 o'clock. Um, it, in a half hour, I don't need to remind any of you, hey guys, write this down, eat lunch today. You, you know your body's going to tell you, or maybe it's already telling you, your, your stomach starts to growl and you go, hmm, I really I want that sandwich or I want that leftover. Yeah, and, and you know it's a natural feeling. Your body, and some of you might say, yeah, well, I can make it till dinner. You, you probably could. You might get really hungry, but some of you might even say, I can make it till tomorrow. I don't even need to eat the rest of today. All right, go. Have fun trying it, but go, go ahead. And, and, and some of you have this determination that you're, oh, I don't need this. I don't need but eventually, you're going to feel the effects by, even if you tell me you're not going to eat the rest of today, let's even go as far as Monday and Tuesday. By Wednesday morning, you are going to be one cranky, tired, uh, angry, I don't know, hungry person. You, you're going to feel the effects of it. Well, God's word is much more vital than any food here on earth. His word is eternal, and his word proves true. And just like not, not eating for a few days, you're going to feel the effects. I guarantee you, you will feel the effects of not opening up this book for several days. Now, some of you might be able to mask it really well, and we could act, and we could put on a good front. But inside, our walk with Christ is not going to be the same. I say it to youth group kids all the time. It's, it's a relationship. It's not religion. It's a relationship from the standpoint of our, our attitude towards Jesus. And, and the example I always give the youth group kids is my relationship with Diane, my wife. You know, if, if I wanted to, to marry her, I would hopefully want to spend some time with her and get to know her. What type of relationship would it be if I said, we're not going to talk and maybe, maybe once a week uh, I'll talk to you for like 10 minutes um, and then that's about it. That's, that's, that's it. We're not going to get to know each other. That, that will be a terrible relationship. Well, the same thing is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is his living word, which proves true time and time again. We've got to be in the word. The second point is to stay away from enemy lines. Stay away from enemy lines. Second point, second way to combat temptation, stay away from enemy lines. If you were on a diet, and I knew you were on a diet, wouldn't I be the worst friend in the world if I said, we are going to meet after church today, right down here at the corner, Dunkin' Donuts. We are going to sit right there. I've got this nice table right in front of all the donuts. I, I know you're on a diet. So, 
Oh, that's ridiculous. You, you would never, or hopefully I would never do that to you, and you would never put yourself in that situation. Well, the same thing is true. We are in a battle. And I, I don't mean that word lightly. I don't, this is a bigger battle than any war that's ever been fought here on earth. This is a spiritual battle where Satan is constantly trying, daily, day in, day out, minute in, minute out. Is that even an expression? Uh, minute after minute. Trying to tempt us, to rope us in. And so it's so vital that we do our own part in staying away from enemy lines. If you struggle with pornography, get off the computer or put a block on your computer or filter. Or th- there's programs where you can have it so that it emails uh, you know, everybody that you know or, or certain friend lists of every website that you've been to. If you struggle with alcohol, and, and the Bible's pretty clear on this about getting drunk. If, if you're struggling with, with drunkenness, don't hang out at the bar on Monday nights just to watch Monday Night Football. That's not a good place to be. Stay away from those areas. Gambling. If you struggle with gambling, whatever it might be, if you struggle with gambling, stay away. Block those sites or don't go to the casinos. Whatever your weakness is, and each of us in here have different sins that Satan knows. Oh, I could get him on this one. Avoid those areas. And here's the beauty. I don't mean this to be like some self-help like, guys, try harder. You can do it. Because it's not that. No matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. But here's the beauty. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has put the ultimate gift inside of us. He has given us the Holy Spirit. We have God dwelling within us. Isn't that amazing? God, the God we sang about, the God that parted the seas, the God that performed all those miracles, is living inside of us, guiding our paths. And I don't think we give enough credit often to the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we go, yeah, that's, that's nice. The Holy Spirit's living within us. He is God. And, and so I, I want to encourage you, part of the second, second point, to stay away from enemy lines and be obedient to the Spirit who's guiding you. Pray on a daily basis and just say, God, give me opportunities to get out of those temptations. The third, the third area to help us avoid temptation is accountability accountability. It's interesting. Jesus wasn't, if you look at the passage, the the text carefully, Jesus wasn't tempted in the temple. He wasn't tempted during his baptism. Where is he tempted? In the wilderness. He's by himself. He's alone. He's in his weakest state. And Satan does the same to us. Most of us right now, literally at this very moment, are probably not feeling too tempted. We're in this nice, safe environment, beautiful church. We're around fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But what about Tuesday morning? What about Thursday night? What about Wednesday? When you're by yourself, Satan's going to go, I got him, I got him, I got him. Here we go, I'm dangling the bait. Here, I got her. I'm going to tempt her. I'm going to rope her in. That's why accountability is vital. This race is not meant to be run alone. You know, throughout the Bible, the the people gathered together in small groups. Look at Acts 2, the very first church. They gathered together and prayed together. They were honest with each other. And and they, they, they held each other accountable. I think a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this too, we have... Um, we know each other pretty well, but a, a lot of us, maybe even in our conversations in the hallway or out here, say, hey, how are you doing? Good. You have a good week? Good. All right, good. Talk to you later. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong. But if that's the only type of relationship we have at New Village Church, we're missing out on what 
God created for us. Raise your hand if you guys are a part of a growth group. Are some of you, most of you, good. Excellent. That's incredible. If you're not, I want to encourage you to, to plug in and become a part of a growth group because it's so important. In that growth group, it's so important for you to feel comfortable and then start being willing to ask each other and, and just be upfront and say, I've got to be honest. Satan really has been getting me with this, this, and this. Can, do you mind every once in a while just checking in with me on how, how I'm doing with that? And, and can I ask you the same? Are there certain areas where Satan's really been plugging away at you and trying? Are there certain areas I could pray for you and I'll check in with you? That's what accountability is. And I'll be honest, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at first to have that conversation. It's so much easier to continue these superficial or just surface level, I should say, conversations. We need to dig in and we're, we're meant to be in a group and a body of Christ praying for each other and lifting each other up. Um, Something along those lines is, and most of you are are attending here every single week, but I want to encourage you, if you're one of the popular things today, is church hopping. People go to a certain church for a while, and then they go, "Ah, I didn't like the music, so I'm going somewhere else. Or, ah, the the pastor went too long, went too short. I didn't like this. I didn't like the color of the walls. Or whatever it is. And, And they hop, and they hop, and they hop. But, but what's even more dangerous is when, when people go to a church and they, they find the church that they, they really like and people start to come around them and pray for them and, and people start to, to, to get to know them. And then the person panics and goes, whoa, 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 I'm out of here. I'm out. I don't, I don't want you to know this. About, I don't want you to know that I'm a sinner. Well, guess what? We're all sinners. We all fall short. And, and so what, what do those people do? A lot of them... Go, I'm going to go to a bigger church and I'm just going to sit somewhere where, where no one will bother me. But I want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church, and even if you're not a member of this church, to get plugged in. Get plugged into a growth group. Get plugged into this church. And let's be the body and, and, and pray for each other and hold each other accountable. Because, guys, we can't do this on our own. It's not meant to be run alone. And like I said before during worship, this is a tough race. It's tough, our time here on earth. Some of you are going through battles and struggles that... I pray I never experience, but some of you are, are being sustained by each other. And that's the beauty of what's happening at New Village Church. Fourth and final point is to be so in love with Jesus Christ. The fourth and final way to avoid uh, temptation is to be so in love with Jesus Christ. Be so in love with Jesus Christ. The book of James Actually, if, if you don't mind, if you still have your Bible open, flip over to the book of James, James chapter 1. Just take a minute to, to quietly look at, look at verses 14, 15 around there, about temptation. Just read it. You can read it quietly to yourself. This idea, uh, this idea of being enticed, of how, how so easily we are enticed and lured in. Satan is constantly trying to entice us. 
He's constantly trying to get us to buy in. And it's interesting, actually, that that word entice there is actually a fishing term. I have a fishing hook here, fishing rod. And, and so, so here's, here's what Satan does. Now, this does not look very appealing right here. And, and there's, a, there's a Christian speaker named Francis Chan, and he used this illustration. I just thought it was so powerful. It stuck with me. He, here's what Satan does. He, he realizes that this hook does not look very enticing. So what do we do? Satan puts a worm on it, a gummy worm, but not a real worm. I have a whole bag if you really want one later. Uh, but, but so here's what Satan does. He, he puts, puts a worm on the hook. Don't be scared. I'm not coming all the way down there. But, and, and all day long, here's what, here's what Satan does. Come on. Come on. You know you want it. Come on. Come on. Come on. And, and Satan's trying to lure you, to draw you, to tempt you. Tempt you out of this place. Tempt you out of your marriage. Tempt you out of your family. To lure you away from what he designed. And it's interesting because here's what happens. Every once in a while, we get smart. So Satan give up. Does he say, don't worry, I'll get that later. Uh, does he say, eh, uh, that guy's good. I'll, I'll, I'll forget about him and, you know, I'll, I'll move on. No. Here's what he does. He, he tries something else. Yeah, you're not going to be tempted with that. I'm going to try and tempt you with this. Put some money on here. All right. Now, come on, come on. Now, now, now you want this. Here you go. Come on. Someone bite. Come on. It's, it's a 20. It is. It's legit. Come on. Here you go. Here you go. Anyone want it? My wife would be mad if I gave away $20 in the summer. <laughs> Here you go. Come on. Come on. Come on. And this is what he does all day long. Satan just keeps trying to lure us all day. And so what do we do? Do we just... Do we just say, oh, well, that's it. Now I can't get my $20 off here. <laughs> do we just sit there and go, oh, well, that, that's it. Do we, I, I know some people that literally do this. They say, well, maybe we should gather together and we'll just kind of form, we'll, we'll like go to a commune and we'll, we'll form our own group and no temptation allowed. Like, that's it. That, that's it. We're not going to allow any temptation. It's not possible. There's temptation everywhere. It's so what we do is we fall in love with Jesus Christ. We stay so focused on that, that cross. We stay so focused on what Jesus Christ has done for us, on what it means to be born again, and what it means to have a new life in Jesus Christ, that we are so in love with him, going, Dad, 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 that we don't even notice the distractions around us. We don't even notice the kite in the sky. We don't even notice Satan going, come on, come on, come on. And we fall madly and deeply in love with our Savior. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this reminder. God, Satan is powerful and active in our world today. But God, you are greater. You have already defeated the enemy. You have defeated him and shown yourself to be the true living God. God, I pray that when we do face those temptations, and there are many, that we would run towards you, recognizing that if we give in, God, it's just going to return void. It's just going to return empty. We're going to have that same sinking feeling that we've had. Only you can satisfy, God. Only your word is true. God, I pray for a passion for your word, for those of us in here today that, that maybe have not even opened up your word once in the past year, or maybe ever, 
God, I just pray for a passion and desire and a recognition that your word is true. Your word is, is, our, our sub, is, is everything that we need, God. We need to be feeding on your word and craving your word. God, I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. God, that we would be obedient to him when he leads us towards you and away from Satan's temptations. God, that we would humble ourselves and recognize how little we are in comparison to such a great God and and allow ourselves to to be uh, in an accountability partner or, or, or a group of accountability where we hold fellow brothers and sisters accountable. God, for those that maybe have been coming here, maybe even just for a few weeks God, I pray that they get plugged in here or, or at least just another Bible-believing church so that they can do uh, community and, and, and live life according to the gospel together. God, it's not easy, and we recognize that this world has so many struggles, so many temptations, so many trials, so much hurt. Oh, but God, we thank you for the grace that you give us. God, for those that think that we, we've, we've failed you too many times, God, your love, your love always welcomes us back. God, we can never stray too far from you. And God, we thank you for the promise that this world is not our home. God, that you will one day call us home for those of us who have been born again and put our faith and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that one day we will live with you for eternity. And so, God, now we gather around your table to to celebrate what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.